out. Um, buy your ticket. This is the reason that we're ending early. The tickets are time slotted. So you couldn't just be like, I'm going to show up at noon and ice skate. You had to buy an 11 to 12.30 time slot. The next time slot was 1 to 2.30. And I did not want to wait for two hours <laughs> to go ice skating. Um, another thing I just wanted to mention this morning was that I realized I, I missed the, the first week of this um, Lenten section of our, our series because I was in Florida. Um, but last week when I was here, I realized that I had a hard time with not having the conversation element <laughs> of the gathering space. Not just because it was like part of the pattern or like a habit at this point, be, but because I like truly enjoyed <laughs> like sitting and talking and like learning from the people at my table. And I am lucky because I get to go to youth group after church and we chat about all kinds of things. So I get to continue kind of learning and chatting, but not everybody gets to do that. I mean, you can if you want to, but I wanna encourage you all that if you are feeling that way as well, stick around and chat after the gathering. Like there's no rules that say just because it's not part of our gathering time and space and setup that you have to leave immediately or that you can't consider um, continue the conversation. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I saw Israel create communion. Where is it? <laughs> Why didn't you bring it in? <laughs> we do without Joel everybody thank you Joel we're doing communion today it, it takes a village yeah it is like Anna said was it last week when she was like she was not feeling great so we used Spotify for singing and she mentioned just like Trinity is a place where we can forget to put communion out or we can sing with Spotify because our throat hurts and like that's okay <laughs> and it feels like I always remember this time when we were zoom churching um during quarantine and like something was not working and I couldn't see like the screen I couldn't see like my words along with the people and I was getting kind of flustered and Anna texted me and was like it's just us <laughs> and it felt so comforting and so okay all right we're going to be reading from Matthew 17 today um it is probably a pretty likely familiar story for many of you many of you that in a um typical, not normal, but more typical Bible is titled The Transfiguration um, in most Bibles. It is titled He Talks to Ancestors in the First Nations Version, which I love. Um, and when I read this passage from the First Nations Version when we were kind of brainstorming this series several months ago, I felt actually <laughs> like um, a deep sense of sadness, di which is different from the sense of awe that I kind of typically feel when I'm reading this story. Um, it's not a foreign or shocking emotion, I think, to, to feel when tied to this passage. But typically, when we read the Transfiguration story, we're presented um, with talks and sermons that are more centered around the miracle of Jesus' true like identity being shown for the first time, the presence of the ancestors Moses and Elijah, and the voice of God being heard, even for just a little bit. Totally valid things to spend time talking on when one reads this passage. Um, and I actually, as I was preparing for today, I, I, went, I was following this like sadness feeling for what I'm, I'm going to share and felt multiple times like, but should I just go back to the, <laughs> the awe thing? Like, um, and so that was a tension that I felt this week. 
but I just couldn't shake that sadness um, and how that shaped this, the miraculous nature of the event, um, but was still sadness all the same. And so we're going to read Matthew 17 from the First Nations version together. If you would like to follow along, you may. Um, oh, I think we might actually finally be out of First Nations versions. If you don't have one for your family, and we are actually out, please let me know, um, or Melissa, and we will get you one, because we would love for everybody to have one, um, and we just need to order them, so um, you can also just listen to me if you'd like to. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Six days later, Creator sets free, who is Jesus, took only stands on the rock, Peter. He takes over, Jane. He takes over who's James, and his brother, he shows goodwill, John, up on a great high mountain. Right there before them, his appearance began to change. His clothes turned bright white, and his face began to shine like the sun. Then before their eyes, two ancestors appeared. The lawgiver, drawn from water, Moses, and the ancient prophet, great spirit is creator, Elijah. They were talking with creator sets free. They all stared in wide-eyed wonder, not knowing what to say. Then stands on the rock found his voice. Wisdom keeper, he said out loud, this is a good place to stay. If you want, I'll put up three teepees, one for you, one for drawn from the water, and one for great spirit is creator. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. A voice spoke from the cloud saying, this is my much loved son, the one who makes my heart glad. Listen to him. They all fell on their faces in fear, but creator sets free, laid his hands on them and said, do not fear, stand on your feet. When they looked around, the cloud was gone, the men were gone, and all they could see was creator sets free, standing alone in front of them. As they walked down the mountainside, he instructed them to tell no one what they had seen until after the true human being had come back to life from the dead. During the long walk down the mountain, the three followers had, to, had a lot to think about. Perhaps they were wondering about the ancient prophecies and how they related to what they had just seen. They asked him, why do the scroll keepers say the great spirit is creator must come first? It's true, he answered. Great spirit is creator is the first to come to return all things to the original their original purpose. But I'm telling you that he has already come and no one recognized him. They did whatever they wanted with him, just as the sacred teachings foretold. It is also foretold that they will treat the true human being in the same way. They will look down on him and turn their faces away from him. Then his followers understood he was talking about gifts of goodwill, who was John, who performed the purification ceremony. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? loving God, um, it is still, after so long, so interesting and incredible and cool that we can read stories over and over and over again, stories that introduce us to you and think of new things, learn about you in new ways, learn about us in new ways that can be confusing and hard sometimes, um, but can also be comforting. I pray, Lord, that you are with us today and this week as we are invited to 
learn more about you, learn more about Jesus and ourselves through scripture, through experiences, through our friends, through people. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Okay, so now if we just ignore the fact that two incredibly influential people from the First Testament were just having a chit-chat with Jesus in this passage, that would be silly. So we're not going to do that. Um, even though that is not where I ultimately ended up feeling like I needed to go. One commentary said that the true miracle, though, of this passage, revealed in this passage, is that we learned that Jesus had been able to cover up his true self for so long. Like, we actually get to see what Jesus looks like in this passage. We have it illustrated for us. And for a really long time, he's been wearing some sort of mask so that we don't go blind, I guess, looking at him, um, or get like overwhelmed with the glory that that he is in this passage we have confirmation of who jesus has been saying he is confirmation in his body confirmation in the company that visits him confirmation in the message from the lord to peter james and john i have to admit um this is a little bit silly but i was reminded this week as i was um preparing of the movie dogma um, if you have not seen it, I would recommend it. It's pretty vulgar, um, and silly, but it is an interesting exegetical work, <laughs> I think. Um, Sir Alan Rickman plays the Metatron, or the voice of God, um, and he is snarky and rude, um, when they're like, why can't we just talk to God? And he was like, because your head would explode. Like, <laughs> um, but I was thinking about Alan Rickman this, uh, this week while I was, reading this pack passage. Um, and so if you've not seen Dogma, I don't know. I, I Yeah, go watch it. Um, and then maybe be mad at me. I don't know. Um, for these three followers of Jesus, I can't even imagine what would be happening in my body during this scene. It says they fell to the ground in fear. Fear. Um, but I wonder if it was more likely that they fainted <laughs> out of fear or confusion or just like complete sensory overload. For us, though, this is a story. We already know that Jesus was the one he said he was. We have the ending of this chapter already, so we may not feel so overwhelmed at the glory um, and miracles of this story. And I think that when I realized that, that was when I started to feel sad. I was like, yeah, this is a really cool event, an important event. I get that, but I already know what's going to happen. And then in verse 11, um, we realize that they all get what's going to happen, too. It says, it's true, he answered, great spirit is creator, who is Elijah, is the first to come to return all things to their original purpose. But I'm telling you that he has already come, and no one recognized him. They did whatever they wanted to with him just as the sacred teachings foretold. It's also foretold that they will treat the true human being in the same way. They'll look down on him and turn their faces away from him. Then his followers understood he was talking about gifts of goodwill, who's John, who performed the purification ceremony. John the Baptist, if that wasn't clear. So in this passage, everyone is still probably grieving John the Baptist. Um, it's not been um, very long since his murder. Um, and now they're realizing, Jesus is telling them, the same fate is coming for him. And I remembered this other moment 
when I was reading a story and I felt a similar like kind of gut-wrenching sadness. Um, and it sure was when I read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. And I know I talk about Harry Potter a lot, but I'm not gonna apologize for it. Um, I am gonna apologize if you haven't read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows and you're planning to, because I'm gonna spoil it big time. Um, but it's been a long time since it was released and so your time is up, friends. <laughs> I was in undergrad when I read it, so it's been a minute. So it, the Deathly Hallows is the last installment of the series and in this story, Harry and his friends are working hard to get rid of something called Horcruxes. Um, they are a tool that Lord Voldemort, the evil like villain of the series, is using to stay alive forever. In, di in a difficult turn of events, Harry finds out that he himself is a horcrux. And for Voldemort to die, he has to die first. With this information, Harry says goodbye to Ron and Hermione and walks boldly to his own death. And on the way, he uses something called the Resurrection Stone to bring back. I love that you're smiling at me, Victor. It's just <laughs> making me so happy. Oh, really? It is like it's such an important book to me that I was talking about Harry Potter to my therapist of eight years once and he said I haven't read it and I was like this is to be our last session <laughs> I I, it wasn't but like I was like I don't know if we can continue <laughs> so on the way to meet Voldemort he uses something called the resurrection stone to bring back the spirits of his parents who died when he was a baby his godfather who died a couple years previously and his most influential and favorite teacher who died only moments before this happened. And, the, and they accompany him to the moment of his death, cheering him on in a way and grieving with him. They give him courage to fulfill what he knows and they know must be done. And I don't care that it is a young adult fantasy series. It is and will forever be one of the most harrowing scenes I have ever read. Like I feel emotional even remembering it talking to you. I have a funny story that I will tell you all someday about when I was reading it. I was outside and a bird pooped in my head. It was <laughs> insult to injury. <laughs> but as I was remembering that scene and thinking about how hard it was to read about this character that I deeply loved, like who was a friend to me, who kept me safe when I felt alone, who brought me joy when I was so sad for years, and I was reading about him sacrificing himself for, for the, good, the right thing to do, the, the good of the, the wizarding world and the world in general. I was saying goodbye to this person that I loved too. And I was thinking about that while I was reading this story this week, and I was wondering about the presence of Moses and Elijah in the passage and how they might have been present for Jesus in the ways um, to help him move toward what was to come in the ways that Lily and James and Sirius and Remus were for Harry. How Jesus knows what's going to happen and how despite being fully divine, he is also fully human and he is feeling what it would feel like to walk towards his own death. How Peter, James, and John in the story may be feeling what Ron and Hermione felt. They were a wreck. <laughs> How else would you be when you know your dearest friend that you love in the world is going to die? And I feel like I can feel the puzzle pieces coming together for them in this passage in those last verses. 
realizing Elijah already came. And if that mean, if Elijah and John the Baptist are the same, then something bad is going to happen to our dear Jesus. We're going to lose him, and we can't stop it. There's nothing we can do. And I thought of, even in non-fictional ways, how many of us have been in similar situations. We've been with those that we love, knowing that our time with them is going to be cut short, that we're going to lose them sooner than we should. Not even sooner than we thought we would, but always sooner than we should. And how this anticipatory grief, allowing us to feel the weight of that loss a little bit earlier, can sometimes help us process it after. That if the disciples were to leave this scene and refuse to believe or understand what they learned, that the loss of Jesus was soon to come, the grief of that may shape the story after Jesus dies to be something completely different. It strikes me as important that Jesus, wisdom keeper, lets these three in on the behind the scenes of the story in this moment. We might understand that Jesus knows what this feels like, knows that as much as it hurts, it can also help. And he's been lonely being the only one who knew this whole time. There were several commentaries that speculated about why these particular three were the ones that got to go. Some suggested, and I thought this was pretty funny, that these three were more troublemakers than the others, and they just always needed to be under Jesus' supervision. (laughs) So he was like, well, I can't leave these three behind. I guess they're the ones. Um, And I thought that was pretty funny. Some suggested that they were simply closer to Jesus than maybe the others. His affection for them was maybe just a little bit more. And I wonder if perhaps Jesus just knew that these three would need the extra help of um, getting to learn what the process is going to be before the others. I don't know. (sighs) But I don't doubt there was a solid reason. I think we all know Jesus is like not some guy that just makes superfluous decisions at this point. (laughs) But we might consider that in this passage, Jesus is showing us that to ignore the coming loss isn't the way. It's uncomfortable, even though we even though we know what's coming because we read ahead, we've, we've read the rest of the story, it doesn't feel good to step into the story this way to imagine what it might have felt like. And truly, also, I know that this is a real experience for, like, not just hard feelings, too. Like, many of us do this exact same process and avoid pleasant feelings. <laughs> Believing that we aren't worthy of the joy that is to come or the peace that will be in our future, we avoid it and don't allow ourselves to anticipate those feelings as well. But there was something just this week about this passage um, that, that made me feel like this is what Wisdom Keeper was giving us. And so I just want to invite us as we consider the wisdom that Wisdom Keeper shares with us this week. May we consider what we might be avoiding uh, maybe those are truths that we've had glimpses of, like Peter, James, and John. Maybe it is something completely different that we have this feeling about. Like, I know something is true, and I don't feel like I'm allowed to go towards that for some reason. We're not embracing it because perhaps it hurts, 
or we don't think we're ready for it. Perhaps this story is Wisdom Keeper inviting us to walk towards it in some way, showing us that he wants us to, that it might be hard, but he feels comforted having us there, whatever it is. Amen. You can go back to your bulletin. We will have communion. Thank you, Israel and Joel, for that tag teaming to provide that for us. You can read along to our Lord's Table liturgy in, um, in the bolded part. We come remembering the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We eat of the bread, praying that its grace might strengthen us so we would become as persistent as you in confronting injustices, challenging oppressive actions, and reaching out to lift the fallen. We drink from the cup, trusting that its hope will spill out from us upon those who are lonely, lost, hungry, and homeless, and especially on the outsiders. The table of the Lord is open for all who would seek and accept the forgiveness Christ offers us.